Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Hellman Class Reunion podcast. Even though we release new episodes every week, we actually began recording prior to the COVID-19 pandemic and completed recording prior to the renewed attention towards the Black Lives Matter movement. So in earlier episodes, we do not mention these events, and in later episodes, our reflections on what is going on may seem a bit out of sync with the present. However, we want to assure you that the gravity of what we are experiencing is not lost among us. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you enjoy our first season of Hillman Class Reunion. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, blessed and highly favored. All right now. <laughs> this is officially episode 10 of Hillman Class Reunion. Welcome, yes. classmates. Yes. Double digits. Yes, we are officially double digits. And we are reviewing today, uh, we're reviewing episodes 14 and 15, still on season one of A Different World. Um, so, you know, we're going in chronological order. We're going to keep on going till we're done. So get comfortable, get your blankets, get your snacks and get ready to ride with us as we go through these episodes, some of which we haven't seen possibly well, I don't know. I, w- I was going to say we haven't seen since it first aired, but, you know, we're some fans, so we've seen these before. But still, <laughs> some of these episodes yes. have been a while. Yeah, some episodes are definitely more familiar than others. So today we're going to start off with episode 14 entitled Wild Child. This episode aired February 4th in 1988. In summary, we see Denise is leading a campaign to get her streetwise study partner enrolled at Hillman. This episode was directed by Ellen Gittleson, also known as, or formerly known as Ellen Falcon. The writer of this episode is David Felton. Uh, the producers are The Usuals, Marcy Carsey, Ann Betts, George Crosby, Beverly Cashin, Joanne Curly Kerner, Susan Falls Hill, Thad Mumford, and Tom Warner. Portia, tell us who's in this episode. All right. So the gang's all here. Y'all know who it is. Lisa Bonet, Don Lewis, Marissa Tomei, Kadeem Hardison, Jasmine Guy, Daryl M. Bell, Marie Elise Rakasner. And we also have playing Gloria B.B. Smith. Allison is played by the great Kim Wayans. Uh, we also have Gregory Beck. He's played by Kevin Vavasour. And we have two uh, guest stars. First up is Professor Charles Mosley, and he is played by Raymond St. Just. So, Mr. Raymond, let's talk a little bit about him because he actually was, uh, he, he actually had quite an accomplished career. 
on the stage, on television, and in film throughout the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Um, he made numerous appearances on television shows, including Rawhide, becoming the very first African-American series regular in a Western. Oh, nice. Yes. Um, he also had a par- an, an appearance on uh, I Spy, which you remember, that's Bill Cosby's very first show. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on The Man from Uncle, Tarzan, Wonder Woman, uh, Fantasy Island, Falcon Crest, Murder, She Wrote, The Love Boat, Amen, and more. So he was all over the TV. He was watching TV in the 70s and 80s. He was there. Sure, he was a familiar face. Uh-huh. So uh, he died in 1990, so, so actually not too long after this episode aired, um, at the age of 60. So he was he was relatively young. But just a couple of fun facts mm-hmm. about his career. Did you know that he won an NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Actor in a Motion Picture in 1969? Oh, what picture was that? Okay, so... This was for a movie called Change of Mind, and he played a character who... Oh, I did read that. Yeah. You did? Okay. Uh, uh, now that you say it, mm-hmm. I saw it on IMBD. Yeah. Okay, so this is new, new to me, and it might be new to the audience. So Change of Mind, this is a movie about a man who, a white man, whose brain got transplanted into the body of a black man and experiences racism for the first time, which mm. is a wild mm-hmm. concept, but... It actually kind of sounds like it could have been the source of inspiration for Jordan Peele's Get Out. Remember that movie? I do. And the plot of that movie. So I I did not hear this film, you know, with some of the um, interviews that Jordan Peele did during his Get Out um, marketing. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure he probably ran across that at some point. Um, so that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and. Another person that was in that movie was Clarice Taylor. And we know Clarice Taylor is best known for playing Anna Huxtable, Cliff's mother, on The Cosby Show. Aww. Yeah, so it all comes back around. Girl, how do you find out all of this information? You know, you know, we... Talk about a deep dive. We super sleuths up in here. We educated super sleuths up in here. Girl, that be you. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't go that deep. It is fascinating. All right. Getting back to the show. Uh, We also have the character of Cougar. And she is played. She's I guess she's the wild child uh, in the title. Um, And she is played by Katie Rich. Mm -hmm. Katie Rich is uh, was an actress primarily on television with guest appearances on Another World, Fame. JAG, NYPD Blue, and Strong Medicine. And I didn't see too much more about her on IMDb, but let's just say that she has had a a rich career and still has a rich acting career. Um, So yeah, that that is our cast for this episode. Okay, we are well into the spring semester at Hillman and the show opens up with the students. Ron, Dwayne, Denise, Allison, and Gloria, they're in a logic lecture. And um, we have Professor Mosley. He is asking the class a series of questions that involve deductive reasoning. Ron and Dwayne are eager to participate, but Denise looks a little disengaged. As always. As always, <laughs> yeah. Um, before the end of the class, however, the professor assigns Denise 
and this newer student named Cougar a deductive reasoning question to work on together. The question is, why does a mirror reverse left and right, but not up and down? After the class, Professor Mosley also asked for Cougar's registration card because she's not officially registered in the class. Mm-hmm. Shortly afterwards, Ron and Dwayne seek to capitalize off of Cougar's apparent philosophy and deductive reasoning intellect because Cougar has already shown her skills. She is she's getting this stuff and everybody else is just kind of lost in a class. But who knows? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So what a great <laughs> synopsis of that particular scene. So much. The question here. So, the first thing that came to my mind, Dr. Flowers, was who are these two white ladies in the class? And not that white people cannot attend an HBCU, but I don't know. Found it odd. Girl, you saw two white ladies? <laughs> it was two, baby. I didn't Where were you? If there were two, there was a blonde behind Cougar. Yes, it was. I only saw Cougar, my bad. <laughs> but you know, especially this season, it was it was quite a few white folks in the background, and you know, now you got Cougar, well, you know, and Maggie, of course, part of the part of the group, um, and now we got Cougar all up in the mix today. Right, right. So yeah, that was one of the first things I noticed, and then of course, you know, she is she flexing her intellectual muscle, which you know I'm not you know, mad about whatever, but I I did think it was odd. And then to have her talk, it sounded like she had a New Jersey accent or what did you, did you notice her accent at all? Let me tell you, it, to me, okay, it's not even, it's not really her accent that struck me. It was, she's, she's a trope. She's a trope. Like, like many of the other characters. Cougar is the tough girl trope that we have seen on TV many times. She's given me strong sure. Joe from uh, Facts of Life vibes. Yeah, she's given me strong Tori from um, Saved by the Bell vibes. Remember that when um, they had that period? Yeah, I remember. New yeah, she's yeah. a new girl. Um, when Kelly mm-hmm. and them left. Uh, yeah, so we've seen this girl before. Usually a white girl. And you know she has the she has the leather jacket. Although Cougar, I don't think she has a leather jacket. She might have like a, a, a what do you call it, camouflage or some some type of camo looking thing. Yeah, about yeah, whatever it was, her costume or her wardrobe definitely signaled, and to in my opinion, foreshadowed you know tough street struggle. Uh huh. Yeah, street smart. <laughs> yeah, she picked up her her schooling in the uh, school of hard knocks. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, and and that's kind of part of it too with with that whole trope. For whatever reason, New York, New Jersey sounds tough. So I, I wouldn't be surprised that okay. that that's why she sounds like that. They probably told her to sound like that. Gotcha. It's part <laughs> of the. It's part of the thing. I get. You. I, Part of the character. Yeah. Yeah, because initially I'm like, okay, why is she in Virginia? (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, and I don't have the numerical data to back this up. But anecdotally, from my experience, 
even when you would have white students on the campus of an HBCU attending, they were generally local mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. They did not necessarily travel from afar to attend school there. Or I think in today's climate, not today's climate, but today when you see uh, students on the campus of HBCUs or rather attending HBCUs, that are not African-American, they may be there on some type of athletic scholarship or, you know, for some type of very specific reason. So, again, we have a, a young lady who is white. She definitely does not have a Southern accent. So in my mind, I'm like, OK, why is she at a black school in Virginia? But given that, you know, obviously she is from the School of Hard Knocks. Who knows how she got to Hillman? Yeah, but that's but a, it, nonetheless, she's there. That's a that's a really good that's a really good observation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Most most white people generally that go to HBCU, either they're local or they're there for some specific reason. But it ain't like you know they they don't necessarily seek it out. Right. Exactly. So when you were watching it. Did you figure out the or were you able to answer the logic question that Professor Mosley first asked? The mirror question? No. So he asked the question that um, Cougar actually answered about if you were in a location and you go one mile north, I think one mile east and then one mile north again. What color is the bear that you see? You see a bear. What color is the bear? Oh, no. Mm-mm. I oh, okay. <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, got you. Did you? I was really trying to figure it out. <laughs> and so when the question was answered, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So the answer was you would see a white bear because obviously if you are going and if you're moving in those directions and still end up in the same place where you started, the only place you can do that is at the North Pole. So if you're on the North Pole and if you see a bear, you're obviously seeing a polar bear. So the bear that you see is white. But then what didn't Cougar interject and say, well, no, there's not enough information to go off of. So it's not a given. Yeah. Right. Because the professor asked Denise basically to answer the question. He calls on Denise because, again, she was looking disengaged. So when Uh he initially frames it or asks the question, Denise says there's not enough information to go on. And then he gives the answer and everybody is like, aha. But then um, I don't know if he calls on Cougar or if she raises her hand to speak. But then she says, well, actually, Denise is right. There's not enough information because yeah. the question could also apply to a person if they're on, at the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, all right, Cougar. Telling the professor. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> But nonetheless, you know, we do see a bit of foreshadowing here because at the end of the lecture, Professor asked her about her registration card. And also another thing that I noticed about Cougar and her wardrobe and costuming, if you will, she had a huge bag. She had two bags and one was really big. I was like, oh, okay, so this is a bag with all of her stuff. This must be a student who is homeless or is in some type of financial distress. Did you pick up on that at all? Or were you just like, why is this white lady here? No, well, not quite. I didn't, I didn't 
pick up on that necessarily. Although, of course, you know, in mm-hmm. hindsight, I'm like, okay, yeah. Um, but you know, at the same time, I guess there's you can you can uh, explain away just about anything, especially on a college campus. You never know why some students might be carrying stuff. They might be on their way to an event. I don't know. Right. And, and that could be how yeah. she's been able to fly under the radar because we're assuming, although she's new to us. She seems like she's been in the class or kind of been in the mix somehow for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be how she's right. been able to fly under the radar and try to blend in as much as she mm-hmm. can. Yeah, because I know when when we were in undergrad and I'm sure it's still the same now or maybe similar. There would often be times where like or rather, let me ask you, has there ever been a class that you wanted to take, but it was full? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that's happened before. All right. Because I know I have actually done something similar to Cougar, participated in a class without registering because the class was full. You know, there wasn't any room in the class, but I would still go to the class in hopes that, you know, and be waitlisted in hopes that somebody would drop oh, yeah. it so that I could, you know, get added in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've done that before, you know. Uh, try to get into a class and then contacted the professor and then they say, well, just come to the class mm-hmm. and, you know, we'll see. We'll put you on the wait list and then see what happens next. And then usually after a class or two, right. I'm able to get in. Right. So when he asked for the registration card, I was like, OK, you know, it could be that. But again, when I put two and two together, I was like, OK, she has a large bag. I think this is some type of foreshadowing that this is a person dealing with some type of financial mm-hmm. issue. Also, did you take any philosophy or logic electives in school? Um, I took a um, trying to think of the name of it, but it was in in the math department and it dealt with. Yeah, we we did logic uh, problems there. But I mean, I loved Mm -hmm. math and for a hot second, I was a math major. Um, But that class, I I hated (sighs) I really dislike logic. I don't know what it is about it, but it just did not agree with me. I didn't like the the symbols. I didn't like these if then statements. Mm, none of it was getting through. Gotcha. Yeah, I took philosophy as an as one of my electives. I forgot under which category. I don't remember much about it, <laughs> except that. <laughs> Except that um, in one particular section, we talked about religion and our professor uh, accompanied us on a field trip, so to speak. And I attended uh, worship services at a Jewish synagogue. And so I'm, I'm, I have a, like a side interest in religion, et cetera. So I remember enjoying having that experience. But that's really all I remember from that philosophy class. But yeah, similar to you, logic questions interest me and intrigue me but I'm not good at it so I generally get a headache (laughs) yeah and just like what's the answer (laughs) yeah so and you know even the question that um professor Mosley gave them to work on for homework why does a mirror reverse left and right but not up and down I wouldn't be able to 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 figure that one out except for just to say because it does oh okay (laughs) (laughs) got you well, moving right along. <laughs> so next we see Denise and Maggie appear while they are discussing and 
kind of debating and going back and forth, trying to answer the mirror question. Meanwhile, you know, Letty notices that Denise seems a bit irritated. And why is Denise irritated? She tells Letty that basically her study partner has left her hanging. She did not show for the scheduled study session. Oh, by the way, in the first scene, Professor Mosley tells or rather assigns Denise and Cougar to work on the mirror question together and present the answer to the class um, during the next section or in you know the next lecture. So Denise is venting about being stood up by her study partner and Letty immediately is like, wait a minute, Denise, did you do any of the work? Why are you so dependent upon your study partner? But then Letty acknowledges that, you know, a young lady whom she had never seen before had visited the dorm and put something in Denise's mailbox. And what was there? The assignment. Portia, how do you feel about group work and partner assignments? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, it it does depend on the situation and who's in the group, because sometimes groups can can work out well and other times not so much. But um, I do prefer kind of working on my own because, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, sometimes it can be good, but sometimes it can be bad. And when it's bad, it's bad. And then you always have that that weak link. Gotcha. And it's even worse if you kind of feel like you might be the weak link. Because <laughs> I've been in those <laughs> situations, too, where, you know, I, I feel like mm. I'm contributing as much as I can. But I also feel like my best might not be good enough. So I'm just trying not to get on anybody's nerves. <laughs> might not be good enough. Yeah. I, I feel you. It's like you uh-huh. want to fall back so that you're not in the way, but you do want to, you know, at least appear, let them know that, you know, you want to try, you are interested. Try. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's funny. I don't think I've ever been Denise, but I, if I was Denise, if you will, I probably didn't care because I was probably working with somebody that I thought was incompetent anyway. And it was just best that I held down the fort. Right. Yeah. So you can still get your grade. <laughs> I've had to do that right. a couple of times, too, where I, you know, carried the weight and, and that didn't feel fun. But, you know, at the same time, I know for sure <laughs> there's this one guy that I um he knows who he is. Uh, uh, we were in the same <laughs> phys- physics class together. And oh, my gosh, physics bumps up against philosophy to me sometimes because it just feels like where are we going we just (laughs) out here just I don't know I don't know what the right answer is what the wrong answer is but we just we we here and for some reason it was just foreign to me I could not get it and we were lab partners we may have been the the only two people of color in the class I'm not 100% sure about that Mm -hmm. but man he was so patient and I was, you know, I was there with him. I was trying. We spent hours working on our assignments. And but he was the one that was coming up with the answers. And we sent our, you know, stuff in and got our grades back. And I just knew it was because of him. <laughs> he put me on his back and I will forever <laughs> be grateful. Thank you, Arthur. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Thank you, Arthur. Shout out to Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> so later on in the scene, or rather the scene cuts to the pit where we see the ladies chatting and Denise is basically bragging about how well Cougar completed the assignment. Even though Denise hoards the credit, 
Jaleesa knows better and immediately calls her out. Mm -hmm. Then who walks into the pit? Miss Cougar. And she relays a suspect excuse to Denise, you know, as to why she stirred her up. But of course, Cougar thinks it's okay because, you know, at minimum, she provided Denise the assignment and apparently she got the answer right. They did well on it. Mm -hmm. So during the conversation, we see Miss Whitley Gilbert enter the pit with an injured ankle. And of course, she has her friends uh, all around her and she convinces them to carry her to the infirmary. Meanwhile, Cougar seizes the opportunity to take advantage of the work she did for Denise. And basically, in return, she asked Denise, or rather, she asked Denise to help her crash overnight in Whitley's room in return for doing the homework assignment because Cougar hears that Whitley is going to the infirmary. So she's assuming that Whitley is going to be gone at least overnight. So, Portia, immediately when they cut to the pit, what's happening? What do you see? What do you hear? They out here dancing to Morrissey. <laughs> Portia's favorite part of the pit, the people yes. dancing in the pit. They cutting up. They getting down to them fishnets. They cutting up. This <laughs> black pantyhose. Black pantyhose yes. by Morris Day. I mean, you know, they. I think they said that was his uh, highest charting solo song ever. That's, you know, that's what the internet say. Really? You know, I didn't realize he had a solo. I thought it was always him in the time. Yeah, he, you know, he went solo for him. And, you know, late 80s was, was kind of his time because he, he went solo. I distinctly remember that Fishnet song. That was all over video. So. I do too. Um, yeah, I remember the song. <laughs> but Definitely also, Fishnet, Black Panty Hope, mm -hmm. Big, Big Legs, <laughs> Choke Freedom Hope, Fishnet. And back <laughs> then, you know, Fishnet pantyhose were for grown women. That's right. That's right. That's not for children. And you didn't dare wear them things to church. But I digress. Go ahead. Finish. Right. Yeah, so, you know, and I was watching the video and I was listening to the song and I, you know, I didn't quite get it. Of course, when I got older, I was like, oh, these some grown lyrics talking about some fishnet, black pantyhose, big legs showing through them holes. <laughs> All right. Um, but, you know, also at the same time, he had a sitcom. Well, a couple years later, this came out in 1990. New Attitude. You remember that? Uh, that show? I remember that. Yeah, I so it was set it. At vaguely, a, but I remember it. It was set at a beauty salon, and he played one of the. Yeah, I was just about to say uh -huh, that. One of the star uh, stylists there. Stylist. Yep. Well, yeah, Morris Day was out here. Do you remember? You know who reminded me of Morris Day? Do you remember this show? I think it came on on when Oprah first launched the network. This guy, he used to be married to Kim Whitley. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes. When that show aired, I immediately thought about, or rather, I remember being reminded of that Morris Day show. <laughs> his name was Elgin something. Yeah, and yeah. I can't remember his name, but that was it. Y'all go on and Google and y'all know exactly who we talking about. Yep. He used to, no, he wasn't married to Kim Whitley. He was married to Jack Hay. Jack Hay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Which can be, you know, that's an honest mistake because they do kind of favor <laughs> each other a little bit. Later, yeah. <laughs> Elgin Charles. Yes, that, yes. That's yes, who yes, it was, yes. yes. That's, yep, that's him. Had Thank you for looking at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did anything else strike you about this scene or from this scene? Uh, let me see. No. Anything strike you? <laughs> thought it was just weird and very sitcom-ish for Cougar to ask Denise to help her crash someone's room. But. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, I, I can also understand, I guess, if she is homeless and, uh, yeah. you know, just, just uh, financially insecure, she, she's, she's quick on her feet. Again, street smart. Yeah. School of Hard Knocks. She knows yeah. how to how to set things up so she can get something later. So I'm sure she had no problem right. doing the assignment because she knew she had to ask her for a favor at some point. She might not have realized it was going to come around so quick, but she seized on that opportunity. Yeah, she was definitely leveraging um, her work or, you know, the, the skills and talents that she had. Yeah. All right. Next, we see Denise sneak Cougar into the dorm. She does not oblige her request to crash Whitley's room because Denise thinks that is taking it a step too far. But she does facilitate a way for Cougar to sleep in the lobby. To your point, Portia, Cougar is always cunning and looking for, you know, an opportunity. She's a survivor. She notices Whitley's dorm room number on the mailboxes and decides to sneak in or really break into Whitley's room. So while in Whitley's room, Cougar is enjoying the luxury and comfort of her room. However, Whitley and Millie show up way earlier than anticipated the same night, not the next day. So unsurprisingly, Whitley loses it as I would have too. She is appalled and scared by the sight of an intruder in her room. And of course she screams, and that awakens and alerts Denise, Maggie, Jalisa, and of course, the resident director, Letty, who arrive in Whitley's room to find out what's going on. And then Denise lets it slip that she was the one to let Cougar in. Letty asks Denise for an explanation. And Letty is like, Denise, do you even know this person? And Denise acknowledges that, you know, she doesn't even know Cougar. But yet, you know, she's sneaking her in the dorm. and. You know, she ends up in Whitley's room. So this definitely was good intentions gone bad. So, okay. So one thing that I I just kind of thought about was uh, the part where Cougar gets into Whitley's room and she's just looking around. And Mm -hmm. I, I think she even mentioned, you know, she's looking at one of Whitley's trophies. She was like, wow, class. And I just, it struck me because I was like, wow, you really mm-hmm. have this young white lady really kind of, you know, envious of this black young woman. You know, they're both presumably around the same age, yet they grew up mm-hmm. completely different. Whitley is the one that has the privilege in this situation and Cougar does not. And she just can't believe, you know, how Whitley right. is living. Whitley's dorm room is even different than the rest of the uh, people in, you know, in Gilbert Hall. Whitley's the one that has her own room yeah. by herself. She has, you know, a, a, a telephone. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has to use the pay phone. Whitley does not. 
She could use her pro. Oh, yeah. I never noticed that. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> she has, you know, stereo. She has all her trophies. She had she has an exercise bike. No one has room for anything in their rooms, but she has all this extra room. So she's living the high life of all the students um, around. So it was just very, um, it's very striking to me to see that, you know, compared to how we usually see Black people and white people interact it's usually black people who don't have as much compared to white folks who do. And it's the black person that's mm-hmm. kind of like, wow, right. look at this. You really live in large. Right. Speaking of high life in the background, while Cougar is in Whitley's room, we hear the song playing in the background back in the high life mm-hmm. again by Steve Winwood. Yeah, they're keeping it contemporary. They got they got all the hits. We're keeping it. <laughs> Yeah, that was released in 1986, actually. So I think going into this, I never thought about the part or the role that music would have in our discussions. I didn't realize how much music was actually incorporated, how much popular and current music was pop was incorporated into me neither but you know it helps to set the scene you know this is supposed to be at the time you know a Mm -hmm. very current story so they need to have current contemporary music and you know this is the music that these young people would be listening to right have you ever have any have you ever had a peer in financial distress to reach out to you for help while in college um not Really? I mean, I remember one time where um, I was so I was there for the summer and uh, a student needed a place to stay for the summer because she was, you know, I, it was it was a weird situation. She was doing some summer uh, research uh, or maybe a summer internship or something, but she wasn't able to secure housing just yet. She had a couple of weeks uh, gap. Um Mm-hmm. And so she needed a place to stay and I let her stay uh, with me in my room. I didn't have much room, but, you know, we made it work, you know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't a it wasn't a situation where she was destitute or anything, but she just needed some help. She, yeah, she needed some coverage gotcha. for, for those couple of weeks, you know, and I've been in a situation gotcha. where I've needed some help, um, not necessarily as an undergrad, but, you know, in grad school, um, which when things can get mm-hmm. particularly tough because at least most Ooh, most undergrads, you know, your your situation is semester by semester. So as long as you're covered for the semester, you know, you can kind of mm-hmm. breathe. Um, but for grad school, most grad students don't necessarily live on campus. So, you know, they're they're on regular people schedule. You got to pay that month, you know, that monthly rent. You got to pay your groceries. You got to do all kinds of stuff. You're not necessarily on a on a meal plan. And that little you know, mm-hmm. TA stipend, RA stipend don't always go as far as you need it to. So I've definitely had some friends put some money in yeah. my hand. And, uh, you know, when I've been able to, I've been, you know, been able to put some money back into yeah. other people's hands and just pay it forward. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. My roommate and I had a verbal understanding that no one else besides us would be sleeping in our room. But I do recall instances on our campus where students who could not afford room and board were basically sneaking and uh, crashing Mm. with other students in the dorm. So I do know, you know, I know I didn't I don't personally have experience with that, but I do know that Mm -hmm. that was a thing and it, it did happen. 
Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that there was, you know, although it may not have been the, the right thing to do for Cougar to sneak into Whitley's room, I get it. And I understand. And, you know, I'm glad that at least for a little bit, Cougar had had a safe place to rest her head. Although when I think about it, it was all of like five minutes. <laughs> she didn't get a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Things move quick in the sitcom world. No, so, you know. she probably was just she didn't even she didn't even get to REM sleep. No, <laughs> she barely closed her eyes. Willie came in and screamed and Cougar said, oops. And jumped out the window. My goodness. Was she right? I don't know where she landed, but she kept going. Nobody nobody even looked out the window to see. <laughs> well, you know, we know that the fire escape is outside of Whitley's window, so she was safe. I hope so. Well, yeah, she survived. From we pre- saw her again later on in the episode. But <laughs> right. Remember from the Dwayne when the episode when Dwayne was ca- was caught sneaking out of her room. Uh huh. Remember he was in her room because of the fire escape. So right, right, she right, was right. Fine. She was fine. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> so next we see Denise confronting Cougar in the library, and. You know, she learns that Cougar is not actually registered at Hillman because of, you know, hardships, financial and life hardships. Denise, poor Denise, naive Denise, asks, why don't you ask your parents for help? Right. Do you remember someone asking Denise that question early on in the semester uh-huh. or in the school year? Yeah. Her pride wouldn't let her do that. But uh Right. Yeah, this is a little different situation. These are are different situations, exactly. And so Denise is like, you know, why can't you call your parents? And then Cougar reveals that her parents are deceased. And she also informs Denise that she's basically been on her own since since she was 15 years old. And so after that, we see Dwayne and Denise raving to Letty about how incomparably smart Cougar is. And, you know, Denise wants to be captain, save them and fix this situation. And so Dwayne and Denise convince Letty to extend some help to this young lady. And so Letty is convinced by their appeal. And she basically offers to leverage some of her on-campus relationships to officially enroll Cougar at Hillman. So did you... Gain any insights or did anything in particular stand out to you in this particular sequence of events? Yeah. So I remember, um, you know, we we uh, alluded to it just a few moments ago with um, Denise not wanting to ask her parents for help since she was, you know, in a financial mm-hmm. bind. She had to pay her tuition. And, um, you know, she she went to one of the deans, I guess. And uh you know, she did the whole spiel. She she didn't want to ask her parents because they the, the dean told her, you know, just ask your parents. She's like, no, you know, I want to be a grown up and I want to do this and that. And then she wanted to get, you know, maybe apply for financial aid. And the dean was like, that's for people who are in need. Your parents have money. Your parents are a doctor and a lawyer. Mm-hmm. This is for other folks. Right. You are just irresponsible. That's the only reason why you're in this financial situation. And then he was able to arrange a job for her to pay her her bills. But, you mm-hmm. know, it just it reminds me of that's why 
you need, you know, financial assistance and scholarships for people like this. Cougar's the type of person um, yeah. that that can yes. you know, qualify for the things that Denise thought that she could just tap into just mm-hmm. because. Right. That's you a know, great. That's, those are real safety nets for folks. Yeah, that's a great juxtaposition. Um, so, yeah, it, it is interesting the the privilege that Denise has and then how she's, uh, you know, confronts that, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in these different episodes, right. how some of that kind of gets broken. And then you it also helps us realize the privilege that that Denise has, because we're so used to just seeing, you know, these are just the Huxtables. They just are who they are. No, these are yeah. folks that live in a different tax bracket than a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, another aspect of this scene and really the episode of the episode that I like is the rallying Mm -hmm. of students coming together to support another student in need. I really appreciate that, uh, you know, the more I think about it and also the involvement of faculty. So even going back to Professor Mosley, him taking the time to ask her, say, hey, girl, you know, you got to get registered. If you're not registered, reminding her that she needs to get registered, because if she wasn't registered, then, you know, he wouldn't be able to give her a grade. And then we see Denise and Dwayne approaching, um, you know, someone whom they are who they are closely connected to uh, for help and her agreeing to help. And that really speaks to, you know, what I believe is one of the, the nuances and the essence of an HBCU, that um, family like atmosphere, that attitude, that um, Basically, you know, pulling each other up and being supportive of each other, which also led me to think about in the characterization, at least or not necessarily the characterization, but in the episodes, we definitely see Letty being someone who's going to play a pivotal role in the development of their lives, right? And their growth and maturation as adults. And I'm not sure, did we, remind me, did we see that with Stevie as well? Or was Stevie dealing with more of their kind of interpersonal communication issues? Yeah, uh, you know, I I don't know if if one is better than the other, but it did seem like it was a little bit different the, the way that Stevie interacted um, with them. Although I will mm-hmm. say that one episode where um, Stevie did get involved, remember the episode where Denise uh, developed a crush on her professor and Stevie was, you know, had to kind right. of tell him, look, this is happening. I need you to be aware and not just brush this off. This, you know, mm-hmm. this, this is a serious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, but you know, Stevie was Stevie. I like Stevie. Yeah. And also Stevie was obviously younger. She was more of their contemporary. Yes. Letty comes in as an elder. Right. Like person. So I wonder, I wonder what constituted that change. You know, was this change made mid season as they are, you know, kind of, you know, looking at the episodes, looking at the writing and kind of revamping it and evolving it. You know, my, my imagination just leads me to wonder if the writers, the producers, or, you know, those with creative influence and license wanted to incorporate a wiser, you know, a wiser voice and, and, and an elder 
into the dynamic of the students. So, you know, I wonder if that was why we see the transition from Stevie to Letty. I don't know. That is interesting. Although, you know, I don't I I have I have questions about that only because there was such a um, dramatic shift um, the following season and the introduction of new characters and, you know, more interaction with with faculty um, and staff. you know, maybe Letty was, uh, the introduction of Letty was a sign of, of things to come. Perhaps they knew that they needed to make a change. And then, you know, once once the season ended, they were like, all right, let's get Debbie on it. Debbie Allen, let's go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right. that, that could be. Wait, wait, take us through the next sequence of events. All righty. So now we have Letty um, along with Denise and, of course, Cougar. Uh, visiting Professor Mosley, um, and they are going to attempt to talk him into enrolling Cougar into Hellman. But he recalls her imperfect past as a dropout and a misfit. You know, that's kind of cold-blooded mm-hmm. to throw somebody's past in their face. We're talking about the present right now. It is. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not my past. But, you know, Letty's on it. Letty, Letty will not let up, and she reminds the professor of his past, you know, we all have past, we all have histories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, she does not let up. And then he finally gives in, um, which is great. Cougar's initially excited, but he reminds her, you're going to have to take the, take the SATs because uh, we got to do this right. And then that's when Cougar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just is like, oh, nah, I don't know. This doesn't sound too good. She gets yeah. cold feet. She gets some severe test anxiety and uh, she bails, Mm -hmm. you know, and she kind of lashes out a little bit. And she's like, you know, I didn't ask y'all to do this. I don't need this. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though she shows up in a nice little dress and everything, she really wants to go to school legitimately. But (laughs) (laughs) she's not so sure about this. Right. So then next we see uh, Denise, Maggie and Jaleesa at the pit. And then Cougar arrives. Denise isn't too um, happy to see her, though, but Cougar um, decides that she wants to kind of explain herself and and talk about why she got cold feet. Um, And then she announces to Denise that she decided to go through with it after all, which is great. You know, Cougar had a little chance to just kind of think things through. She had a moment to get herself together. She realized she could do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, what do you think about this whole test anxiety situation? Have you ever been afraid to take any exams, especially big exams? Still. Yeah. Still am. <laughs> still am. Still am. I, I deal with um, test taking anxiety. I hate tests. And, um, yeah, I I don't like tests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, for me. I definitely peep Cougar's intellectual insecurity, which manifests itself, it looks like, in test-taking anxiety, even though people around her and her peers were boasting about how smart she was, or rather how smart she is, et cetera, et cetera. That, you know, there was still something in her that caused her to question her capacity to do well and excel. So. I was definitely able to identify with her in that regard. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, me too. Still, I I still have some, you know, I gotta I gotta um uh do some some self talk 
I got to pump myself up sometimes to remind myself that I'm, you know, I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. I can handle this situation. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, again, have to go through that in some form or fashion as undergrads Mm -hmm. and you're, you're experiencing things that you've never experienced before. And, you know, think exams and classes aren't as easy as they were in high school. So yeah, it can knock you off your game. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing, which I actually think is the major part of this whole sequence here, it revolves around Letty. We find out her government name. Yes. Latisha. This is Latisha. Come on, Latisha. <laughs> why are we not calling her Latisha? Why why are we doing Letty? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it rolls off the tongue easier. I Yes. I mean, you know, both are great. Letty's fine. Letty's fine. But I'm just like, wow, where'd this come from? Also, Portia, remember you did the math in the last episode to inform us that Letty was a woman in her 60s? Mm-hmm. It seems odd to me in 1987 to be calling a 60-year-old woman Letitia. Oh, right here. <laughs> like LaRonda, Rashida. Lanika, I don't know. <laughs> to me, that just sounds like the name of a younger person. I think Letty fits her persona better, in my opinion. But I, okay, so we're gonna have to maybe, maybe y'all out there, um, audience listeners, um, classmates, can help us out. Maybe somebody could do a deep dive on uh, Letitia. What is it? The etymology? I don't know what the what the right yeah. term is. Because for I. I feel like Letitia is a name that has been around for a long time. It's not it's not necessarily one of those newer names that, you know, we are also fond of that we equate to yeah. younger people. I feel like Letitia might be one of those names that have been around for a while. I think you're absolutely right. I'm just saying for that time. So it you know it probably fits Yeah, I mean, Letty to me definitely sounds more appropriate for a 60-something-year-old Black woman than a Latina. Although, let me not say that, because there's going to be some 60-something-year-old Black women running around here, you know, with Letitia. You're going to be LaRonda, 60-something. Yeah, real talk. Yeah, Real talk, when I was younger, I was like, how is LaRonda going to fit as an adult? But then, like, my mom's name is Mildred, and I would think, who calls a child Mildred? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, why did my grandma give my mom that old name? But yeah, nonetheless. Name, yeah, yeah, names, names are names. They fit for they fit for their names times, you names. know. And, and listen, there's gonna be a whole generation coming after us that's gonna look at uh LaRonda, Portia, and just be like, those names sound so old. Why would somebody name your child LaRonda? That's an old woman's name. That's all they're going to know. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't they? Yeah. And why wouldn't they name her something like Sky or Death? <laughs> you think they're going to go that far? <laughs> but, they might, girl. But anyway, take us home. <laughs> all right. So we get to the final scene now in, su- in true sitcom fashion, of course. Uh, the cast is in the lobby of Gilbert Hall. <laughs> and Denise comes in to announce that Cougar has successfully completed her SATs. And uh, Letty adds that she may even be able to receive a scholarship. So right, great, great ending for Cougar. Um, however, of course, party poop, Whitley 
scoffs at Denise's suggestion. <laughs> well, maybe not so much a party poop because I might I might scoff at this too. Denise suggested <laughs> that Cougar reside in the dorm. I get it. Whitley, you know, she's still a little traumatized for having her all up in her bed. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, when with, when Letty suggests that Whitley has space in her in her dorm room for a roommate, that's when Whitley really, she's had enough. She stands up on her <laughs> and reveals that she actually has been faking her ankle injury. Right. Ah, oh, Whitley. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So okay. So they just wrap that up in a nice little bow. Um, mm-hmm. so what are your overall takeaways for this? Uh, for this particular episode here. Um, I at first I wasn't really fond of it, but as we chatted about it. I did gain an appreciation for the show's exploration of real life issues such as running into financial difficulties and hardships as a um, as a college student. And I also really appreciate the galvanizing of students as well as faculty, you know, them coming together to help out a student in need. So I definitely can appreciate that. Yeah. I think for me, um, you know, and I've already kind of mentioned this earlier, but um, it was interesting to see. It, we've, we've seen this before in sitcoms where you see a group of privileged people or, or um, relatively privileged people and they all kind of gather around to help um, somebody in need. Usually mm-hmm. it's somebody who's who's new. We've never seen them before mm-hmm. and they're there to kind of teach the group a lesson and they, you know, support each other. I mean, they, they gather around, rally the troops to try to support this one person, you know, and a lot of times you may even see that with white people kind of helping this poor black person um, that comes into their life. Yeah. You never see them again. But this kind of turned it on its head and mm-hmm. all majority black people that are helping cougar who's a, who's a young white woman mm-hmm. they're the ones that's educated they're the ones that have money they're the ones that have shelter you know and she has none of that right and she's dependent on these black people out of the kindness of their heart and the, and the relative power that they have mm-hmm. to to go on and make this happen letty you know this this older black woman goes and she demands that this girl gets a scholarship she gets into the school she gets a scholarship she gets a place to stay i mean that's that's privilege right there yeah um and she was able to make that happen for her so it was it was very interesting to kind of see that and you know it kind of gets me into the next question that i have which is how do you think this episode would be different if it were done today and for me you know again looking at this whole issue of privilege and race I feel like they would have leaned into it a little bit more if if they were to do this episode all over again. You know, they yeah. would call out the thing that's not being that is not being said. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, we may have seen the introduction, or at least them touching upon not just class and socioeconomic dynamics, but also uh, you know the racial 
dynamic and, and aspect of it all. And I don't think that in today, the way we do television today, I think just culturally it's different uh, how sitcoms were presented in the 80s and 90s versus how they are presented today. I think today, the even though, you know, the sitcoms still have a, you know, an, an intro, an introduction to the problem and a resolution to the problem, sitcoms today are more realistic in terms of how they arrive and engage in the problem solving of those issues. So I, I definitely think we would have had a more realistic dynamic to it. Not, for example, Cougar probably would not have broken into or into Whitley's room, but instead we may have seen a situation where maybe Jaleesa and Denise and Maggie were trying to hide her out in their room. And, you know, Maggie would have caught her that way. I also think um, that Letty would be going by her government name, Letitia. <laughs> I think this whole, like, the entire run of her character, she would be known as Letitia. Maybe, probably. I think, I think they would have, if, if in 2020 and everybody's hashtag woke, they would have made sure she would have. Everybody knows her name is Letitia. <laughs> Probably. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Hey. All right. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. So let's rate this thing on a scale of one to five. Where do you think this falls for you? For me, this. This go. I give it a solid two. Initially, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the one. But again, having talked about it. And thought about it some more and also listening to your thoughtful perspectives, etc. I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to agree. I'm going to say it's a solid two for me, too. It's a two for me, dog. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So that's it. That is episode 14, Wild Child. We met Cougar. I don't think we're ever going to see Cougar again. So, you know. I, I, I assume that Cougar went on and graduated from Hillman College and, uh, got her a nice job and mm-hmm. is doing well in life. And she may or may not be living in Virginia. I don't know. Maybe she went back home to New Jersey, New York, Chicago, Midwest, somewhere. Somewhere. Cleveland. And, uh, she, she's, uh, she's doing a daggone thing. Your Cougar probably has grandkids by now. Cougar might have grandkids, and maybe she's telling her grandkids the story of the time that uh, these black kids helped her out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> helped her get a degree. I don't know. That's it. The end. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a break, and then we'll come right back to get into episode 15. We are podcasters united to condemn the tragic murders of black people at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception. And we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that black lives matter. We believe that black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witness to it. In creating digital media, 
we hope to build audiences that will return week after week to hear our voices, and we will use our voices to speak against anti-Blackness and police brutality. And we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. All season long, we will be donating to a variety of groups fighting against police brutality and systemic racism and fighting for the safety and security of Black communities. This week, we will be donating to The Bail Project, and if you're able to, we encourage you to do the same. Go to bailproject.org, that's B-A-I-L-P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot org, to learn more about the organization and ways you can support. Hi, classmates, and welcome back to the second part of episode 10. Yes, double digits. Go episode, us. yeah, episode 10, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in this segment, we will be talking about episode 15 of A Different World from season one entitled Dr. Cupid. This episode aired, I'm assuming quite timely, on February 11th, 1988. In summary, in the lead up to Valentine's Day, Dwayne is the host of a radio station show, and he decides to find his match through his broadcast through an alias. Meanwhile, Letty gets a surprise visitor herself. This episode is or was directed by Reggie Life. Portia, since you're so good at this type of research, tell us about Reggie Life. All right. So. Reggie Life is a two-time Emmy nominee for Outstanding Directing for a Children's Series, which happens to be Sesame Street. And although this was his first and only time directing A Different World, he actually directed several episodes of The Cosby Show and went on to direct episodes of Generations. Remember, we mentioned that soap with uh, Christoph St. John last time. Yep. And he also directed episodes of Sister, Sister, and Eve. So... Uh, quite an accomplished director here. Cool. Thank you for that insight. And then the writer of this episode is Deanne Stillman. So this was a new name for us, right? I don't think we've seen Deanne Stillman as a writer before, have we? In terms of the a different world. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think we've seen her uh, name pop up, but she has had previous writing credits. Um, including Square Pegs and the new Gidget. So yeah. she came to a different world with, with a little uh, a little bit of a resume there. So we will see what she comes up with on this episode. Yeah, I, you know, in trying to find something else about her, her IMBD bio is pretty concise. Uh, I did find another lady by the name of Deanne Stillman, who is a very well- accomplished author. Um, a lot of her books are with Sh- uh, Simon and Schuster, but I-, I wasn't sure. I could not tell if this, you know, if these two women were the same, but who knows? Nonetheless, uh, the producers of the show, of this particular episode, are the same. Marcy Carcy, Ann Betts, Beverly Cashin, Joanne Curley-Kerner, Susan Falls, Hill, Thad Mumford, and Tom Warner. And then in the episode, we have the usual suspects, which we acknowledged in our prior discussion, but we have two special guests that I think we should mention. So we see 
uh, Claudette Wells, again, playing Peggy Harley. To remind you, Peggy Harley is the graduate student that Dwayne had a love interest in and they had a bet. I think we talked about that uh, in a, either the last, epi- the last episode of our podcast or maybe the episode before then. But we also have a gentleman by, by the name of Zake Smoke. So tell us what you were able to super sleuth regarding him. All right. So we have um, this actually very accomplished actor playing Marcus Nfepo. And he's actually from South Africa. Uh, very distinguished. He founded the Rehearsal Room, uh, which was a radical interracial theatrical group in the 1950s during apartheid. So if you know anything about apartheid in South Africa, you know that this was a huge deal. And it also made him a target uh, for political persecution. And so Mm. he eventually immigrated to the UK and to the US, where he eventually won a Tony Award for featured actor in a play in 1982 for his role in Master Harold and the Boys. He also had numerous roles on uh, television, numerous appearances on television, on shows including uh, Starsky and Hutch, Roots, The Next Generation, Knight Rider, Law and Order, Oz, The West Wing. So he has a career that has spanned the decades. He's also appeared in several feature films, including Cry Freedom, The Serpent and the Rainbow, A Dry White Season, and A Rage in Harlem. Okay. And he passed away in 2009 at the age of 75. Aww. So we, we're, we're glad to see him here on this episode, gracing the show with his presence. Yes, 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 yes. Cool. Well, let's jump into what's happening in episode 15. So the show opens in a way that Portia absolutely loves. With people dancing in the pit. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> they, they be jamming too. Mm-hmm. And then we, then we pivot to the radio station because the music that they are listening to in the pit while they are dancing is actually being piped in from the radio station where Dwayne Wayne works and where he's broadcasting from. So the show pivots to the radio station and Ron goes in to pay Dwayne a visit. And Dwayne's radio name is Dr. Cupid. Okay. So in capturing the essence of Valentine's Day, which is only a few days away, I believe, Dwayne reads a love letter on the air from a person by the name of Daryl Walker. This is a personality that Dwayne has contrived as a part of his plot to basically get a date for Valentine's Day. Next, we see the ladies in the pit discussing their mild annoyance or maybe not mild, but, you know, great annoyance with Dwayne's obvious scheme. Meanwhile, Whitley comes in and reveals that she is clueless about who Daryl Walker is. But the girls play on her ignorance and basically throw some hints to imply that this Daryl Walker is from a wealthy family from Charleston, South Carolina. So, Portia. Talk to me about this music we're hearing in the pit in the beginning when the people are killing it. Listen, they picked a good one this time. Folks will be jamming to this song <laughs> in 2022. Uh, so this, better. this is Keith Sweat. If you know anything about R&B, you know this song when you hear it. I want to 
I keep sweat. And these people I wanna. are men. Girl, did you notice homeboy in the blue sweater, though? <laughs> I think I missed him. <laughs> this is dude. He's got black hair and uh, a blue sweater. And he's just, <laughs> they must have just told them, just move. And he said, okay, I'm going to move. Because <laughs> that ain't no dancing. He was just tipping back and forth. He just, he cracked me up. Cracked me up. But yeah, everybody else though, they were they were jamming. Okay, okay, yeah, they were. Yep. That's how it was in the eighties. That's how it was. That's how it was. You know, I have to say this. When I was younger in this song, you know, of course this song was played you, you would hear it on the radio station and my parents on um, the cassette tapes and my godmother did. She loved Q Sweat. And I would hang out with her a lot. For the longest, I thought he was saying, I wanna like I W A N and A. I didn't realize till recently that he's saying I want her. I mean, you know, it it could work both ways though. It could work both ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, you know, connotatively, it means if it means the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say connotatively, it means the same thing. <laughs> and you know, I'm sure at his concerts when he has the crowd sing along with them, I'm sure it's equal parts I want her and I want her. Right, right. <laughs> it might as well be caught on her. And so for those who may not know, Key Sweat is an R&B legend mm-hmm. from the 80s and 90s. Uh, he's with classic love ballads. And also he was one of the earlier artists of the New Jack era. So this was a style of music or production that's um, that Teddy Riley is responsible for. So he's a phenomenal uh, producer and songwriter from that time period. And both are still alive and kicking it. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, Keith Sweat had a radio. He was hosting a radio show that was in syndication. Did you ever hear that portion? The Sweat Motel? The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you asking me questions I know the answers to. What you talking about? yes girl I used to listen to the sweat motel he would play the ballads at night and girl those ladies would call that show and if he's still on the air they probably still are and would be doing the aunties these are straight up aunties Mm -hmm. these are like great aunties girl doing some hard up flirting and he'd be flirting back yeah baby what you got (laughs) girl I think he's Keith Sweat is still performing. I bet he still get panties on the stage too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> he loves it and they love him. Oh. <laughs> oh, that cracked me up. Was was there any other music in that opening scene? Yeah, well, you know, like you said, we see Dwayne Wayne um hosting his radio show. And um, mm-hmm. you know, he he uh he reads the love letter. And then he throws to a song and the song that he throws to is called Funky Pie by Stu Gardner. And I said, hmm, oh. let me think. I've never heard of that song before, but I feel like I've seen the name or I've heard of the name or seen the name somewhere. So, you know, I did my little Googles and realized that mm-hmm. Stu Gardner is actually the musical director and composer for a different world. So they threw that little oh. Easter egg in. 
you know, just to give a shout out to him. So um, actually, he was the he was the musical director for the first four seasons. And then he was the composer mm-hmm. throughout the entire run of A Different World. And he also co-wrote the theme song. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then not only that, he was the musical director and composer of the Cosby show throughout the entirety of its run. So he's, you know, all mm, of in the, okay. the Huxtable universe. Yeah. Helping to provide the musical soundscape. Um, but yeah, so that is Stu Gardner. He is the the one that was called out by uh by Dwayne Wayne. And and part of me, you know, part of me wonders if a song is actually called Funky Pie that appeared on the show. Cause so you know, like the music that's like little bumpers in between scenes, they'll play some music. Um, I like this. That's what the composer does. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So I wonder yeah, if yeah. I never thought about them naming any of those little, you know, two second, ten second little things. But there might have been something called mm-hmm. Funky Pie. Who knows? I I would be curious yeah. to see if if they did. It, it's such a unique name. I don't, you know, that's why I'm like maybe this really is a real song because who would do that? Yeah. But then the other, I'll go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of that, I'm thinking about a previous podcast recording we did when we were giving background information. And I re- I'm not sure if it was Stu Gardner. I'm sorry. Yeah, Stu Gardner. But when we were looking at the composers for the theme song of A Different World, one of the composers had done some of the intro music uh, and, you know, those what do you call, I don't know, what do you call the music that's played between scenes? I'm sure there's a technical name for it. But like the, a little bumper? Yes. Yeah, so let's call it a bumper, right? I remember that the composer for A Different World also did some tracks for, or did bumpers for The Cosby Show, and those did have titles. Okay. Because one I, one I remember in particular was the music played during the episode where Rudy and Vanessa were in jail at home. And it was a pretty neat cadence that was playing um, in that particular bumper. But nonetheless, happy to know who Stu Gardner is and nice of them to have that nod during Dwayne's radio show. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention about Stu Gardner is that after he left the Cosby show in a different world, he went on to compose for Living Single where Erica Alexander, who was um, formerly known as Cousin Pam on The Cosby Show, was now playing the role of Maxine Shaw, attorney at law. So it all comes right back around. Yeah, cool. Shout out to Stu Gardner, wherever you are, he's still still out there. Probably still doing music for for, uh, television shows. Yeah. So the first scene of this particular episode really sets the mood for the holiday, the upcoming holiday, which is Valentine's Day. And people seem some people are maybe more excited than others. Some people are more anxious than others to have a Valentine's or a date. Do you recall any special Valentine's Day sentiments on campus when you were in school? Nothing that really stands out. You know, of course, Valentine's Day is is kind of special and people like to get a little dressed up and stuff, but mm, nothing that in particular that stands out. Mm-hmm. What about you? I, yeah, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year for Valentine's Day. 
you know, people had dates and were planning dates and there were like Valentine's Day themed dances and activities and fundraisers that various auxiliary organizations were doing. So the celebratory feel was definitely in the air. I also remember desperately wanting a date, kind of probably feeling like Dwayne Wayne a little bit. And I literally, you know, this is a, I'm going to be transparent and honest. Don't judge me. I remember going through my little list of numbers from guys and just like calling until I got somebody to take me out on a date. Oh. And and I'm not sure what number this young man was on the list. But so like my girlfriends had dates. Everybody had dates for Valentine's Day, I think, except me. So I just wanted to feel a part of the movement. And no one, I didn't call anyone and say, hey, can you take me out for Valentine's Day? But it was more like, hey, what you doing? What you doing for Valentine's Day? You know, just kind of throwing the hints out there, hopefully, hope, hoping someone would catch it. But there was a guy that we never dated, but, you know, we conversed a little bit. Anyway, he happened to call maybe the day before Valentine's Day or the day of Valentine's Day. It's like, hey, what are you doing? Would you like to go out to dinner? I'm like, yeah. So, of course, you know, we were big and fancy. So we went to the Olive Garden <laughs> on Valentine's Day, and it was the worst experience of my life. Not the worst. I'm speaking in hyperbo- uh, hyperbolic terms. But it was just crowded. It was a mess. The wait was forever. And I decided at that point that Valentine's Day is way overrated, and I never have to go out on a date for Valentine's Day again. And I don't think I've ever been on a, an official Valentine's Day date. Aww. Well, you know what, though? Shout out to you for being proactive. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Speak right. it into existence. Yeah, I will that one into existence, honey. And learn my lesson. <laughs> so, anyway, tell us what happens next. All right. So, uh, next scene brings us to Gilbert Hall, where we see Maggie excited about a Valentine's Day package from her boyfriend, Mike. Uh, Meanwhile, Denise answers a phone call, and it happens to be for Letty from a Mr. Mfeffle. But Letty stops cold in her tracks when Denise tries to give her the phone, and she dodges the conversation. Denise has to tell her that she's not here right now, and then they, you know, the three girls are just... Jaleesa is there too. Three girls are just kind of like spill the tea. What is going on, Letty? What happened? And so Letty mm-hmm. reveals, you know, Letty. Letty has lived a life, lived a full life, and she still got mm-hmm. some more living to do. So she right. she lets them know that, you know, the gentleman on the phone was a former love interest, and that um, mm-hmm. she worked with him on publishing revolutionary material in Mozambique. So that that's how her that's how her life is. She's on she's more than just, you know, a little fling. She's on some revolutionary love type stuff. Right. She's yes, trying to free I love the people. It. I'm here for it. <laughs> free the people and get some loving too. Yes, I'm for it. Yes, you know that happens. Uh so yeah, so you know, she she it seemed like the relationship was great was great, but there was still some tension there. Um, and it really dissolved for her due to differences in, in gender dynamics. He kind of wanted 
her to be a certain way and she just she she had to be true to herself. She could not be that woman who just stayed home cooking and cleaning while he went out and did the work. Yeah. Which, you know, I get I get, you know, you cannot tie Miss Letty Bostick down. You just can't. Especially if you knew who she no, was you when you met her. Now you want to turn her into right. something else. I don't know, sir. Right. You you wasn't asking her to have your babies when she was helping you sneak in material and print and distribute and distribute literature. Right. <laughs> Risking her life and freedom because she could have possibly ended in jail. But, you know, even given the differences of their opinions in that regard, Letty, I think she's feeling a way, though. I think she may be harboring some feelings see, or some there may be some unresolved issues yeah. that she has with Dr. Impepo. I mean, clearly, clearly she still had feelings for him. She remembered the exact length of time that they were, uh, that it had been since they saw each other. How long had it? 28 years and four months. Girl, and didn't she recall that quick? It, it came to her just that quick. <laughs> Why she think about this a lot, apparently. Yeah, you know, but you know, that that's how it is for some people. They they have a relationship mm. that, you know, was really transforming and it and it uh lingers yeah. and it, you know, it, it made an impact on their life. Mm-hmm. So even though it it didn't work out and they may even feel like it's for the best. It's it's the best thing for me not to be with this person. Howsoever, I'll never forget this person. Right, right. Totally understand. So next we see Whitley in her dorm room chatting with Millie and Whitley is seemingly smitten with the idea of Mr. Daryl Walker. So if I didn't say it or if we did, we failed to mention it earlier. When Dwayne read the love letter from Daryl Walker, he asked that anyone interested meet Mr. Daryl Walker in the library. So even though Whitley is intrigued by Daryl Walker because she thinks he's the Daryl Walker from Charleston, meaning he may have some money and status, she's still not quite ready to go meet him. So she basically voluntold (laughs) Millie that she will stand in as her proxy and meet Daryl in the library. Meanwhile, guess who shows up, girl, to surprise Letty? Who? Mr. M. Peppo. Mm. Woo! Hi. So we learned that he's in the area. He was in Washington, D.C., attending an economics conference. All right. This show does a lot about economics, Some, doesn't it? Somebody on the writing team uh, <laughs> and- <laughs> majored in economics and wanted to play. <laughs> right. Right, right. So Marcus M. Peppo, you know, sees his friend, Miss Letty, and they get to talking and he basically is like, why are you here as a resident director? And it's challenging her life decisions. And from the way I interpreted what he was saying, he was suggesting that, you know, her lifelong characteristic of being uncertain and indecisive has basically caused her to waste her intelligence. Meanwhile, you know, Denise comes downstairs and she overhears the conversation And she questions Letty's response because Letty was very defensive regarding what he was saying to her. And I totally understand that. But in her defensiveness, I think Letty reveals that she might actually be still bothered 
um, that she is still bothered by how the relationship ended. Do you get any vibes or have any opinions on that one? Yeah, I I don't know. I kind of felt like um, yeah, it was mixed. I felt like Mr. and Peppo, Dr. and Peppo, was it Dr. or Mr.? Mr. You know, here's a professor. So let's. Professor and Peppo. Yeah, let's call him Professor and Peppo. <laughs> he, I felt like he came on a little strong. You know, again, sitcom, they got to move stuff fast. They ain't got no time to waste. Right. But he, I felt like he came on just a little strong. It had been 28 years and four months since they saw each other. And out the gate, he talking about some, what a waste. <laughs> what you doing? In this in house, <laughs> you 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 know you're the you're the <laughs> resident director. Like he just straight up was dogging her out. Like yo, chill. Let me live. Yeah. Like can you say hello first? Can you help me? Can you let me like right, get over right. the shock of actually seeing you again? I, I you know who knows? Letty probably thought she'd never see him again since it had been that long. Right. And then uh, and who knows if they had even talked in the meantime. So. Mm-hmm. Cause there was no in- there was no internet, there was no Facebook, right? Girl, in nineteen 19- in nineteen eighty seven, long distance calls actually involved calling to a different county. So, explain that. Oh, so like back in the day, you from Syracuse, right? You lived in Onondaga County. Back in the day, it was long distance to call someone who lived in Oswego County, right? Like there were extra charges. Right. So I was just saying, you know, he, you know, had spent some time in Africa. Obviously he was not living in Virginia and the town where Hillman resided. So communication just was, it was not as seamless and as easy as it was today. So it probably had legit been 28 years and four months since she had not only seen, but talked to him. Right. So, you know, I felt like it was a little, um, the, the conversation just kind of accelerated a bit. For him to be questioning mm-hmm. her life choices and implying that perhaps she may have wasted her life and not necessarily giving up much information about his own life. He, he's making a quick assessment of the quality of her life. And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, of course, it's going to make you defensive. So, yeah, I can I can understand that she might be feeling a kind of way. And then it's like, you know, what? get out. Get out until I can sort yeah. this out because I cannot have you in my face right now and I'm feeling like I'm being attacked. But, and, and I'm also like seeing you is bringing up my feelings about you. So let me have a breather. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, can, I can understand that it was a lot that was thrown at Letty in, you know, 2.5 seconds. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> True. And, and he showed up and he showed up without warning. True. I do. Girl, I wish somebody would come to me with a surprise. Uh-uh. <laughs> a blast from the past for real. Thanks. When the door wouldn't be answered. I'd be like, Nene, the door is closed. <laughs> but but it's like, so I definitely get what you are saying. I totally get Letty's response. I probably would have responded the same way. At the same time, though, I try to empathize with Dr. M. Pepo and wonder what place was he coming from? Was he talking to her as a concerned friend? Because sometimes we don't always agree with the choices 
that our friends and loved ones make. And it's not necessarily because we're judging, but we don't feel like they are living up to their fullest potential. Well, I may have to disagree because friends would actually talk to you over the course of 28 years and four months. So <laughs> you ain't, you ain't going to call me a friend and then we ain't never both. What, what is up? And he didn't even, he don't sure. even know, like, she's okay. more than just an RD. She's the, remember, she's there to get her degree as well. That was the deal. That's why she's even working yes. there, is yes. to finish her degree. So he, yes. you know, don't do me like that. Don't come out of nowhere. Don't come back from Africa and then True. go sit up here and say, well, what are you doing? Looking down on me. Uh-uh, sir. Get out of my dorm True. because I am the dorm director. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. Hey. Have you ever had an instance where someone, you, a friend, kind of overstepped their boundaries with you regarding a decision you may have made in life? Oh, nothing stands out. I'm sure, you know, if, if you're friends long enough with somebody, you know, you might have some disagreements. Somebody might say mm-hmm. something that's not really received well, or you might even say something that you may not have met. Yeah. Nothing stands out um, in particular, but I'm sure it's happened. And I'm hoping that because it does not stand out, uh, you know, strong in my mind that, you know, whatever bump we had in the room, we were able to move through it. What about you? Uh, Same as you. I'm I'm sure um, it's happened to me. And if I have not been on the receiving end of it, I'm pretty sure I've been on the giving end, um, even if not explicitly, maybe implicitly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this instance does make me think and want to be more careful about how I insert, you know, my opinions and thoughts and goals for other people, you know, without carefully doing so. Yeah. Or, you know, even taking the time to consider if it's warranted. Like, who am I? Right. So I tend to be kind of bossy. (laughs) All right. So now we uh, now we're cutting to the big reveal for Daryl Walker. We see Ron and Millie showing up to the library. and. The, the two, two proxies. proxies. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so Dwayne sent Ron in place for Daryl and Millie right. sent, uh, I'm sorry, Whitley sent Millie um, in place of herself. And uh, so these two, they, they come together, they meet, they engage in flirtatious banter, they trade glasses. It's, it's you know, real nerdy, like real geek, like, but I'm, I'm, I don't know about you. I was a little confused. Because I thought they had already established that Millie and Ron liked each other, but it almost felt like they were kind of seeing each other for the first time um, in this scene. Am I was I reading this wrong? So they weren't seeing each other, right? Because remember, in the glasses, we learned that I think Millie, one of them, doesn't wear their glasses in class or something. Because there's this joke about his hat. He's like, "Oh, I see your hat." Or I don't think Millie wears her glasses in class or something. And she's like, I used to see a blob with a brown hat or something like that. So it's it's clear that they have had they know of each other. 
but maybe their crush. No, I'm saying I thought in previous episodes they were together. They they didn't just know of each other. They had interacted before and they like I thought they were a, a couple. No, I this is my first recollection in watching the shows of them being flirty. I don't recall pre in previous episodes them being flirty before or it being implied that they were together. Maybe because you knew already, you, you had priors that they had a little love affair. That maybe that's it. I don't know. Or I could be forgetting, but I don't know. But I, I don't remember. I don't know. This is my first time recalling them flirting. Well, all I know is this. The Sparks flew. They are officially lovebirds. Cupid strip. And uh, so, yeah, so mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be an item. They know what they're doing on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. So now the scene pivots back to the radio station where we see Dwayne again, still pushing this whole Daryl Walker thing, trying to land a date for Valentine's Day. Uh, Ron comes in and tells Dwayne that he's going to go out uh, on a date with Millie. And he's really excited, and Dwayne's just like, you know, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I know the feeling. My- mm-hmm. <laughs> Good for you. Same thing happened to me. Uh huh. And he's just, he's just so sad and pitiful because uh, his plot is not going according to plan. Um, meanwhile, Denise uh, comes in with a little note. She's going to play Cupid for Letty and uh, Mr. Impepo, Professor Impepo. Because she, you know, Denise overheard grown folks talking and uh, she thinks that that Letty, you know, might be letting a good thing go. So Mm -hmm. she's going to put out a note and try to get uh, get the two of them together. And, you know, and she and along the way, she also feels a little sympathetic for Dwayne because she can see that he's a little sad. He wants to have somebody for Valentine's Day. Yeah. And and just to just to really, you know, bring it on home, we hear Tracks of My Tears by Smokey Robinson and the Miracle. Yes. This, you know, that's the soundtrack of his sadness right now. Oh, poor Dwayne. Yeah. Poor Dwayne. Um, when the song came on, this is from nineteen sixty-five. At first I was like, gosh, this is such an old song. Why would they have these 20-somethings listening to this song, this Motown song. And then I had to check myself. It was only 20-something years earlier. So that would be the equivalent of people listening to songs from, you know, late 90s. Yeah, from the mid to late 90s now, you know, and and we go up for a a Teddy Riley Babyface song. We just saw the whole versus thing go down with Teddy Riley and Babyface, and that was all 90s. Right. So, yeah, now that was probably the aunties and uncles in attendance. But let me say this: you know these a lot of I was about to say these kids take that back. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the younger artists are now remixing things and remaking songs by Usher, mm-hmm. Aaliyah, Escape, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which was around twenty years ago. So that, yeah. that's usually how trends go. It usually goes in like twenty year cycles. Because uh-huh. I remember in the nineties. The 70s were big. Like there was a lot of 70s, nostalgia. You could hear that even in the music, the samples that were in R&B and hip hop. 
So you can hear, you know, that's yeah. how we, that's how our generation started learning about, um, you know, James Brown and the miracles right. and, uh, you know, all yeah. kinds of groups, uh, the OJs, right. everybody. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Also in fashion too, there were like the seventies fashion influences yeah. for us in the nineties yeah. as well. So, you know, at first I was like, this is a weird selection, but then the, you know, realizing uh, actually that that actually tracks. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just made Dwayne Mama raised him right. Right. And daddy. <laughs> right. Shout out to Dwayne's mama. We're going to find out who she is soon enough. <laughs> also, probably the thing that stood out to me most about this particular scene is the fact that Denise is in grown folks' business. Why? <laughs> that bothered me. Why did it bother you? Because she's out of grown folks' business. Denise is just trying to help. She she just wants to be of service. You know, they they I've noticed that they um really try to position Denise as being that, you know, that helper, that fixer, that go-between, almost yeah. like a proxy for the audience. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it it makes sense, but yeah, I can also understand I can also understand how it can be a little annoying. Like, girl, you don't know. You mm-hmm. all, all you know is that uh, Letty had something with this man, and now she don't don't want to speak to him. Right. It's a whole ton of. Also, no, this is Letty Bostic. She was out here smuggling stuff during the French Revolution. She was <laughs> on some revolutionary stuff <laughs> in Mozambique. You don't know her history. You don't get it. She her 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 past is right. way too deep for you to quite understand. And you think that you gonna resurrect something off of some student college radio station, girl? Go somewhere. Exactly, <laughs> girl. Bye. And sit down. <laughs> so, in response to the radio appeal, which did not come from Letty, but Denise's plot works. Marcus and Peppo, or Professor Marcus and Peppo comes to Gilbert Hall to visit Letty. I guess he wants to sell the score. He thinks that he's going to come and she's going to apologize to him. The two sit to resolve their, I guess, somewhat unspoken differences. And then Letty is surprised to learn that Marcus, Mr. and Peppo, actually did not come to Hillman to get her back and to whisk her away. But actually, he's married and has a daughter. He could have mentioned that earlier, but it wouldn't be a sitcom if if uh, <laughs> it would be right. a sitcom if 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 uh, that was disclosed when it should have been. Yeah, right. To me, that was RAF though. Like, yeah. you know, he pops up to see this woman, and then oh yeah, I'm married, and I name my daughter after you. Now that's the part. That's the part that I was like, hold up, park the car. Wait a Stop minute. The music. Wait a minute. What you say now? You have a daughter and you named her Letty. No, they said Letty, but the name's supposed to be Letitia, remember? Letitia. <laughs> Letitia, right. <laughs> yes, the name is Letitia and Feppo. And they tied that up real nice with the bow. They had Letty say, oh, well, you know, this is a beautiful way for, you know, for me to have your last name or something like that. But mm-hmm. in real life, I mean, what would you do if your ex came to you and said, I named my daughter after you? Girl, I would pray for his wife 
And let me say this, future, future husbands, if you are listening, if I ever find out that you suggested a name to me for a daughter, that is the namesake of any one of your exes, it is a wrap. Better yet, note to self, don't let that man have nothing to do with my baby name. <laughs> and that's all I got to say about that. Ooh, I'm sure there are there are some people that probably have named their children after people in their past and they don't know where, you know, their, their partners don't necessarily know where those names came from or why they're so attached to a particular name. But yeah, people name their, their children, you know, men and women name their children after folks that have made an impact on them in their past and want to carry that on. But woo-wee. I don't yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know how you how you handle that. It would be so surreal if somebody told me that they named their child after me and we had a history like that. But yeah, I I would be yeah. devastated if I was the spouse and then found out that my yeah. child was named after my husband's ex. Yeah. Like woof. Yeah. It sounded like I guess it seems like Professor and Peppo imply that maybe the wife knew about it, but I'm not sure how he sold or how he described his relationship with Letty, aka Letitia. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it's a sitcom. Yeah. So. so yeah, they 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 cleared they cleared that up, and you know, happily ever after. He goes his way, she goes hers, mm-hmm. and and it's all good. Right. So. Next, Valentine's Day finally arrives, and the crew is at what looks like a Valentine's Day party in the pit. Ron and Millie are swooning over each other on a cute little date. Mm. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, Maggie had gotten, or did we mention? Maggie, had, yeah, we did. Maggie had gotten a gift from her boyfriend, which she would, didn't want to open until Valentine's Day. She finally opens it. It's a record of the song they played on their first date. That's cute, whatever. <laughs> then <laughs> Denise. Denise shows up. <laughs> Denise shows up to accompany Dwayne, aka Daryl Walker. And of course, Denise says, Dwayne, I knew you were Daryl Walker, whatever. But you're my friend, and I just want to support you and show up. And again, she emphasizes that they are just friends, but I'm sure Dwayne is happy to see her. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, Miss Whitley comes in, girl, to greet her mysterious and wealthy Daryl Walker. Only to learn that it's who? Dwayne Wayne. So what do you think of Ron and Millie? You think they cute? Yeah, you know, they they seem to be very um yeah, it's a it's a very innocent, um genuine, it feel you know, it they it kind of seems like they're setting them up as just being very genuinely into each other. They like each other, they appreciate each other, they're on the same wavelength. Again, I think I mentioned before, it kind of seems like they set up Whitley and Dwayne on similar paths. And part of that parallel path, part of that is their their partners in all their crimes, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it only makes sense that at some point they would kind of see each other and come together and and like each other. But, you know, what really stands out is the fact that this character, Ron, is going to make such a change because we know we know Mm -hmm. how ron ends up as a as a character and he started off in a completely different place they have him 
set up as though he, you know, mm-hmm. he's not a player. He's not a, you know, he, he's not right. out here just getting girls left and right. No, he starts off and mm-hmm. he's just head over heels in love with Millie, who seems like the first girl that has ever caught his attention or that he's been successful in, right. in catching the attention of. So that's the thing mm-hmm. that really stands out to me more than just their little interaction, their relationship or the budding, uh, the the um, beginnings of their relationship. But right. it's just the fact that Ron is not the Ron Johnson that we have come to know later on. Well, girl, you know, people change, especially after their freshman year of college. You I right. have seen it. You right. <laughs> Folks come in one way and leave another. Girl. <laughs> My cousin told my cousin was a year older than us and she went to college first. And on one of her first weekends home, she told us she was like, Look, girl, say people go to college and reinvent themselves. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, they do. <laughs> and when I got to school, I saw it for myself. So Yes, they do. But uh, how do you think this episode might be different if it were done today? Okay, so let's let's talk about Ryan. If this was done today, I feel like, well, I guess maybe if the whole series was done today I would love to see that uh you know maybe a, a more gradual transition and just kind of follow that thread because you're absolutely right there are people who change throughout their college career mm-hmm. and I would love to see kind of mention of that even by the end where folks are just like wait a minute Ron weren't you the one that was the geek with the glasses and you was hey, when you hanging out with Millie like go somewhere you trying to act like you were always the man on campus, you were not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but specific to this episode, let's see. If this episode were to occur today, what would be done differently? So I don't think that all these little hidden messages would be over the radio. I think this would probably be right. on you know Snapchat, Instagram, something, yep. TikTok. Now TikTok. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. So it would have been, it would have gone down like that. And I would have, I was actually more interested in the whole Letty, Mr. Impepo kind of situation. I would like to see a little more of that. Yeah. Because, I mean, like I said, this yeah. you talking about some yeah. revolutionary love. This is some grown folks love. This is some international love. Like, I, I want to hear more about that. And I mm-hmm. I wouldn't want that to be wrapped up in one episode. I would like to see how that extends, yeah. you know, and how maybe his reappearance into her life might affect her uh, going forward. Right. What about you? Yeah, that makes sense. So similar to you, the I didn't think the, the, plat, the media platform would be the radio station. I figured or I, I guess it would be social media. In addition to that, instead of Dwayne writing a letter, reading the letter, I figure he may set up a fake uh, online dating profile. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, probably <laughs> and, like some and, Tinder stuff. And do something like that. Mm-hmm. Also, to your point about Letty, I remember after watching this episode thinking, this must have been an episode for the parents because, you know, we focus on the adults. We had, you know, a, a big focus on the adults relationship in this. And to your point, it would have been nice to see that evolve a little more. Yeah. Any final takeaways or thoughts? Mm, I thought it was cute. (laughs) 
I went in the in the very beginning. I thought that they would go delve more into gender dynamics because you know she mentioned that one of the reasons why they didn't last was because he wanted her to basically have babies to be barefoot and pregnant. So I was looking for broader discussion or you know some at least some more discussion on that, but that didn't happen. So, but yeah, it was cute. All right, so. Now it's time to rank the episode on a scale of one to five. Where would you put this? I'm giving this one a solid two as well. I think I'd have to say the same. It's a two and really on the strength of, again, the Letty and Pippo storyline. Mm-hmm. It could have, there, yeah. there, there was more meat on that bone for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, even with what they gave us, I, I was more interested in that. So, yeah. Yeah. And maybe because we are the age we are, but. <laughs> we ain't no 60-something. I'm, listen, <laughs> Letty is in her 60s. We can't relate. We right True. in the middle of the but, two, but, two generations. But we are old enough to have possibly had a love interest 20 years ago. I'm just saying. <gasps> anyway. <laughs> Girl, anyway, that back. oh no, I don't want to be reminded. <laughs> let's, let's wrap this thing on up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this concludes this installment of our Human Class Reunion podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dr. LaRonda Ely. And I'm Dr. Portia Flowers. Don't forget to follow us on social media on Twitter at Hillman Reunion, on Instagram at Hillman Class Reunion and on Facebook at Hillman Class Reunion. Our original intro and outro music was produced by our friend and brother, Mr. Daquan Bowens, BKA Killer Keys. You can get more information about him at daquanbowens.com, D-E-Y-Q-U-A-N-B-O-W-E-N-S.com. And we hope that you will join us for our next episode, episode 11 of Human Class Reunion. Bye, girl. Bye.